Kyle, when you led the newer version of Just As I Am a moment ago, I couldn't help but think about the older version of Just As I Am. And I remember that uh, when I was a seventh grader, age 12, at the Ada Fairgrounds, uh, my home church, the Southwest Congregation, and the Central uh, Church on the other side of town, we used to annually host a, a gospel meeting together at... Uh, the Ada Fairgrounds, uh, and it, it began on a Sunday and ended the next Sunday, so eight days. And I recall on a Tuesday night uh, when Stanley Sayers was preaching that on the second verse of Just As I Am, uh, I went forward uh, to be baptized. So I got to thinking, how many of us responded to the Lord's invitation at the singing of Just As I Am? Keith Bowman went up immediately. Hold your hands up proudly. We, we are a special group uh, here. Uh, maybe the all-time invitation song, uh, Just As I Am. That's fun. Acts chapter 2. Without the Holy Spirit... Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-like character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. No one knew this better than Luke. Early in his gospel, as at about the age of 30, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The Spirit descends upon him, and God publicly declares Jesus as his son, and his public ministry begins. And now, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, once again, the Spirit is going to descend to empower his apostles and equip them for mission. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 set the stage. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, that is, Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise is issued again in verse 8 of chapter 1. And after Jesus ascends back to heaven, they do as they had been told. They return to Jerusalem to wait. And now finally, the waiting is over. This morning, we continue our study of the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses. And we finally reached the day of Pentecost. Pentecost arrives. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And so the day of Pentecost has arrived. And that period of waiting is over. And the Spirit has descended upon the apostles. They are now empowered for mission. And the rest of Acts shares stories of that mission being fulfilled. Let me make just a couple of comments about uh, the first few verses that we've just read. The term Pentecost is a transliteration of a Greek word, which means the 50th part. The Feast of Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the Feast of Passover. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks. It was the annual harvest festival. You can read instruction for Israel about this particular feast in Leviticus 23 as well as Deuteronomy 16. It occurred in early summer after the conclusion of the grain harvest and was one of the three festivals all Jewish males were required to attend in Jerusalem. And so again, it seems to me that The apostles, as they waited, and perhaps as they contemplated when might the Spirit arrive, that perhaps they envisioned this very day. Because in verse 5, we read, Luke shares with us, because of this great feast, a great crowd um, of Jewish people had gathered in Jerusalem. Now, These numbers are estimates, but based on archaeological evidence as well as some historical literary uh, sources, the population of Jerusalem at this time was approximately 80,000 people. And during these great feasts and festivals that the Jews observed, the population of Jerusalem could swell to perhaps 500,000 people. So there was a large crowd, a large group of people who had uh, ascended upon Jerusalem. Many would stay with relatives and in private homes and inns, but most stayed in tents within and outside the city walls. And so when the Spirit arrives and the Spirit Uh, falls upon the apostles, they attract a great crowd. In fact, if you look at verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And so as the narrative continues, Peter stands up to address the crowd and refutes this accusation of drunkenness. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. 
Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so Peter now quotes from Joel chapter 2 and makes the point that the words of the prophet Joel are now being fulfilled. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so now Peter moves in to what we have sometimes referred to as that first gospel sermon. And I read just a moment ago, verses 22 through uh, 40, excuse me, uh, 36. And if you go back and, and you kind of analyze the structure of Peter's sermon, and as we continue through our study of the book of Acts, we will notice that most of the sermons that we have recorded in Acts follow a very similar structure. Two events are always emphasized about Jesus. His death and His resurrection. And normally, whoever is speaking will allude to two witnesses as well. First of all, the Scriptures. Uh, Peter, uh, in the text that we read just a moment ago, refers to both Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Uh, and again, as witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so once again, there was this uh, deep understanding of Scripture, of God's Word, and uh, recognizing the fulfillment of prophecy uh, from Scripture. But Peter also and the others uh, emphasize their own witness uh, as well. Uh, in verse 32 uh, of Acts 2, Peter really emphasizes that God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. We know from uh, Scripture, from the Old Testament, that uh, uh, testimony... Uh, was established on the credibility of two or three witnesses. Uh, and here we have uh, the witness of Scripture as well as the, the apostles as uh, eyewitnesses. And so Peter has preached uh, this first gospel sermon. So we come to verse 37. And we read through verse 41 and we see people respond. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who, uh, whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Go back to verse 37 uh, for just a moment. It says that the people uh, were cut to the heart. Uh, the word translated cut there means to cut into, uh, to cut cut through or to cut down upon. It refers to a sharp pain or a jab. Uh, here figuratively it is used in the sense of a deep emotional uh, response. Uh, one uh, secondary uh, resource I was using in preparation for the lesson this morning, the author translated this phrase as the people were stunned they were overcome with emotion. Again, they were, they were cut to their heart about what Peter had just uh, proclaimed. And so they respond and they ask what they should do. And Peter responds with two conditions, which if you respond uh, and fulfill these two conditions, two blessings or promises come with that. The first is repentance. Uh, the word, as we've discussed in the past, repent, uh, is a compound uh, Greek word and literally means to think again, to understand again. And so it has the idea of an afterthought or something is reconsidered. And in this case, uh, contextually, uh, the repentance, the afterthought, the reconsideration is about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is more than just uh, some itinerant preacher from Galilee who attracted a great crowd for about three years. Peter has declared him to be both Lord and Messiah. And we'll come back to that in, in just a moment. And so the reconsideration in, in their minds is who was Jesus? Son of God, Lord of Lords, the promised Christ or Messiah, whom Peter says, you crucified. And so they are to think again, reconsider what they thought or are thinking about Jesus and the implications of that upon their life. But also, he mentions uh, baptism. Of course, the word uh, baptizo means to immerse or submerge. And it's interesting uh, that Peter uses uh, in, in the Greek form of this verb uh, a third person singular. He's saying, uh, repent, all of you, but each one of you individually must submit to being Baptized, and they are to be baptized into the name of Jesus. One Greek dictionary explains that little phrase this way. The concept of dedication is also highly significant in all probability for the understanding of the expression 
baptized into the name of. Through baptism, the one who is baptized becomes the possession of and comes under the protection of the one whose name he bears. He is under the control of the effective power of the name and the one who bears the name. In example, he is dedicated to them. So there is deep significance embedded with being baptized into the name of Jesus. It means we now belong to Jesus. It means he is our master. I think it goes right back to the word Lord. And again, we'll have some things, more things to say about that uh, in just a moment. So these two conditions, repentance and baptism, but then these two wonderful promises or, or blessings. First of all, the forgiveness of sins. And then secondly, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit is the gift and I believe has a reference to the personal indwelling of God's Spirit within us. And so Luke records for us that 3,000 submit to these conditions. And notice that their baptism was not delayed. It proceeded immediately. And we'll see this pattern as we continue through Acts in other uh, conversion stories. And so ba baptism operates as an expression of commitment and dedication, which occurs immediately upon repentance and expression of faith, rather than a as a confirmation of a decision made at some time in the past or an earlier occasion. And so we see the importance here uh, as uh, Peter preaches of these two conditions of repentance and baptism. So this morning, having kind of quickly uh, surveyed verses 1 through uh, 41, I want to suggest five things this morning for us to think about uh, from uh, this text. And I can't wait till next week because verses 42 through 47 are my favorite verses probably in, in the entire uh, New Testament. And maybe more than any other verses, I believe, really can set the agenda for the church today and for all time. But before we get to verses 42 through 47, we need to reflect on 1 through 41. First of all, again, Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. The word that's translated Lord is the Greek word kurios. And again, it, it simply means an owner or a master. The word was regularly used in the context of Caesar worship in 1st century AD and beyond. Caesar was Lord. And if you did not confess Caesar as Lord, your life would be at risk. And yet Peter boldly proclaims that it's not Caesar who is Lord, it is Jesus who is Lord. Uh, the word that's translated Messiah is the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. And you go back to the Old Testament. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, the anointed one. 
and contextually in reference to Jesus uh, as Messiah, as Christ, as the anointed one, as the Son of God. He is our Savior. And it might be tempting to kind of look at these two titles of who Jesus is and maybe decide, well, I like the fact that Jesus can save me. And you accept him as your Savior. But this Lord thing, being my master, being my owner, I must submit to him as well. And yet you can't have one without the other. And, and I think that's why over and over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus is emphasized as Lord. He is our master. And again, reflecting upon the significance of being baptized into the name of Jesus, um, implying that we now belong to him. We wear his name, Christian, one who belongs to the Christ. And so Jesus must be both in our life. We look to him for our salvation, but we also look to him for guidance and direction in our lives. Number two, so have you truly repented? I mean, again, uh, within this context, repentance is especially emphasizing these people, this audience, to reconsider, to rethink some things about Jesus. And, and maybe that's what we need to repent of this morning. To Maybe we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, but maybe we haven't uh, submitted to him as our Lord and Master the way we need to. And so rethinking, repenting of, of previous misconceptions about Jesus and understanding the implications for us upon our lives. Number two, or number three, have you been baptized? F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, who was a British New Testament scholar uh, very prominent back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. His volume on the book of Acts is considered still to be one of the primary commentaries on uh, the book of Acts. And uh, his comment, one of his comments on Acts 2.38 is this, the idea of an un unbaptized believer does not seem to be entertained in the New Testament. James D.G. Dunn, also a British scholar, uh, who has also written a very helpful commentary on the Acts of the Apostles. He goes even a little further when he says the New Testament knows of no unbaptized believer. And so the question is not, do I have to be baptized? But why wouldn't I want to be baptized? Because after all, when we repent and submit to our Lord in baptism... God fulfills two promises. We receive the forgiveness of, of sins and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And so this morning, have you been baptized? Number four, we too live in a corrupt generation. Uh, the word that's translated corrupt, I, I find very interesting. Other translations use uh, the term uh, wicked. Uh, some English translations use the word perverse. Uh, literally, it suggests crooked, crookedness. 
And I think there are, there are even a few English translations who translate it that way, that we, we live in a crooked generation. And, and just a reminder for us to consider where our loyalties lay. Do we trust in ourselves? Do we trust in some form of government? Uh, do we, wh wh what is it that is Lord and master of our lives? And in the tendency to kind of to get pulled in and even deceived by, by culture. I think we all recognize that uh, there are some evil things out there in culture and in our society, but there are also some very good things. And it's easy to kind of get entrapped or enslaved by some of those uh, things. But just reminding ourselves how corrupt and crooked our own generation is and being willing to look even more so to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then finally... We count people because people count. There's, there's your Twitter feed for today. All right? We count people because people count. There will be several more times. And there, Acts is full of these little summary statements that Luke injects at the end of, of several narratives uh, to communicate and emphasize the growth of Christianity and how powerful the witness to the Word of God was for these apostles and early uh, believers. And there are a few times that, that he even gives us uh, numbers. And, and I know in, in, in the past, in, in other places, uh, some, sometimes we, we maybe overemphasize numbers, and we set certain goals, I can remember when we moved into our new uh, auditorium at, at Southwest in Ada. We used to be located on 18th in Johnston. And then a new facility went up uh, just behind that corner. And we became 17th in Johnston. And a, uh, an auditorium somewhat similar to this. It was fan-shaped. The ceiling was a little higher. And up on the big wall... Um, we, we had put a goal of 600 people. And I remember having a, uh, a guest speaker one night, and, and he commented on that, and he said, well, I'm glad it's not 700. You know, Pat Robertson and the 700 Club. And he was kind of glad that, and I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't our goal, would, we'd want our goal to be bigger. But anyway, that's a different, that's a, you know, how young minds kind of work. That's probably sixth or seventh, uh, sixth or seventh grade. But, but that number in front of us to challenge us to reach that many people. Right? And, and so, so why, why, do we, why do we ask you, uh, why do our elders ask us uh, to fill out attendance cards? And why do we take role at Bible class? Because we are concerned about one another and we love each other and we want to miss us when we're gone. And, and so we count people because people count. And so I think it's okay to have those kind of numerical goals. And uh, we, we've tried uh, uh, to kind of step up, uh, so to speak, 
uh, in, in recent weeks, uh, uh, to be more aware of, of who is here and who's not and, and keeping track of, of everyone uh, a little better. Not, not because we're, you know, wanting to be nosy. I don't know, maybe we are wanting to be a little nosy, you know. We, we want to know where we are. And when somebody is gone for a prolonged period of time, understanding why and being uh, willing to encourage and, and reach out uh, like that. And so just, just remember, uh, you know, we, we, we look at numbers and, b- b- because they represent people. They represent you. They represent me. And so being very sensitive uh, to those kinds of, of things. I appreciate what John uh, Stott wrote. In his little commentary, The Spirit, the Church, and the World, the Message of Acts, here is what he writes at the conclusion of his comments for verses 1 through 41. He says, It is not enough to just proclaim Jesus, for there are many Jesuses being proclaimed today. According to the New Testament gospel, however... He is historical. He really lived, died, rose, and ascended into the arena of history. Theological, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension all have saving significance. And contemporary, he lives and reigns to bestow salvation on those who respond to him. Thus, the apostles told the same story of Jesus at three levels. As historical event, they saw it with their own eyes. As having theological significance interpreted by the scriptures. And as contemporary message, confronting men and women with the necessity of decision. We have the same responsibility today to tell the story of Jesus as fact Doctrine and gospel. Have you made a decision for Jesus? Have you confessed Him as both Lord and Savior of your life? Have you been immersed into His name so that your sins might be forgiven and so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? And as a church, as a body of believers, do we feel the same responsibility today to tell the story of Jesus as fact, as doctrine, and as gospel? If you need to respond this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?